Uh, so I've got a picture for you today. This is a picture of Caroline Kennedy. Uh, when she was three years old, some of you old people know who that is. Uh, behind her is John F. Kennedy, who is, I guess, one of the most famous people in history. And at the time of this picture, arguably the most important, most powerful man on planet Earth. When this picture was taken, JFK was the leader of the free world. And I want to zoom in on this picture just a little bit and show you what he's doing. He's holding her doll. The leader of the free world, right? The most powerful man on planet Earth. And what is he doing? He's holding his little girl's doll. And I don't know what you think about JFK personally or politically, but I think this picture tells me something really important. And that is that no matter how busy a man may be, no matter how important a man may be, there is no higher calling. There is nothing more important. There's no greater responsibility than being a father. And I think it's interesting that Jesus chose to tell us about God as our father. That he illustrates who God is as a father because we know God is incomparable, right? Nothing compares to God. He's incomparable. We love to say, well, you know, God's kind of like this. Oh, God's sort of like that. But the reality is that he's not. There's nothing in the universe that is remotely like God. But Jesus chose to refer to God as our Father. And I think maybe because that's the closest thing that we can understand to something that we really can't understand is for us to see God as a perfect, loving Father. And of course, there is no earthly perfect Father. But if you can just imagine, right, what a perfect Father would be, He would, he would love us perfectly and he would always provide for us and he would always protect us and teach us and he would do anything for us and he would always be there for us. That's what a perfect father would do and that's exactly what God does. So as we're trying to wrap our heads around who God is, this impossible thing for us to comprehend, Jesus says, well, here's an illustration for you. Maybe, maybe you'll understand him like this. Come at it from this angle. Think of God as a perfect father. And Jesus uses that image of the father throughout his ministry. In fact, one of the most famous stories, not just in the Bible, one of the best loved stories in the history of literature is the story of the prodigal son. And even though we call it the story of the prodigal son, the story is really, it's about the father. How many of you know that story? Everybody knows that story, right? Who does the father represent? It's not a trick question, right? I mean, the father obviously represents God. And this story is a parable, which means it's not, you know, historically, actually, factually accurate. It's not real. It's not, it's not specific people. It's a story that Jesus made up. It's something that Jesus is using to help us try to understand something that we can't understand. It's something that Jesus uses to help us wrap our heads around something that we'll never fully grasp. And it's just... It just shows me what a great teacher Jesus is. And this story is just so beautiful. So if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna take a look at it today. It's Luke 15, and it starts in verse 11. And what's going on in this while you're looking, I'll just tell you, is as they always were, the Pharisees are coming, coming after Jesus, right? And they're criticizing him, and they're attacking him. And the thing that they're getting on him on this time is that he does, he, he's spending time with bad people. He's hanging out with losers, right? He's surrounding himself with sinful people. And the Pharisees were really good at a couple of things. Uh, one, they were really good at keeping rules. 
And two, they were really good at criticizing people who didn't keep rules as well as they did. And so now they're after Jesus, and they're saying, no, you should be hanging around with all these low-life people or whatever. And so Jesus tells actually three stories in one. He starts off with the story of the good shepherd. Remember that? It's the story of the lost sheep. He says the shepherd has 900 sheep, and one of them disappears, and so he leaves the 99 and goes after the one, and when he finds that one, he rejoices, he carries it home on his shoulders, and it's a happy day for him. And then he tells the story of a woman who lost a coin, and she turns her house upside down looking for this coin, and when she finally finds that coin, she rejoices because she has that coin back. So it's a story of a lost sheep, and it's a story of a lost coin. And then he tells the story of the lost son. So this is Luke 15, verse 11. Uh, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. Can you imagine? This kid says to his dad, I am so sick of you that I can't even wait for you to die. Right? I need my inheritance now. And I just, what a crushing thing to say to a dad. But it says, this father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons, verse 13. And a few days later, this younger son packed all of his stuff and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So now he's gone from being on top of the world to being kind of on the bottom of the pile here. And he, he finally persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And I'll ask you to think about that just for a second. Um, that's not a great gig for anybody, right? Nobody wants that job. But for a Jewish man, right, that's an unclean animal. They didn't, even, they didn't even touch a pig. They didn't even get in the same area as a pig. They wouldn't look at a pig because just to be around a pig just brings humiliation on you and brings humiliation on your family. And here is this kid in the muck feeding these pigs. And so he's just totally humiliated. Verse 16, the, the, man became, the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs look good to him. That's how desperate he was. He's starving to death. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. So I'm going to go home to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so please take me on as a hired servant. I always picture this kid like writing this out on three by five cards. Right, and he's going to go home and he's going to tell his dad this great speech. So verse 20, he does it. He returns home to his father and the whole way he's rehearsing his speech, right? He's like, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's practicing this speech. In verse 20, he returns home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. In verse 21, his son busted out the three by five cards and he started his speech, right? Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father interrupts the speech. Verse 22, and he says to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fatting. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he went in and asked one of the servants what was going on, and he was told, your brother's back, and your father's killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. 
And his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I slaved for you and you never once refused to do a single, I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never even gave me a goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. So Jesus is just such a great teacher. He tells this story that just gives us all these amazing lessons. You know, the first, the original lesson, I think we kind of forget sometimes, the reason he told this story in the first place, the first lesson is he was talking to the Pharisees who thought they were, they were better than everybody else because they kept the rules better than everybody else and they were criticizing him for hanging around with people that they thought were undeserving. But his lesson also applied to the Jews who, was listening, who were listening to tell them that they're not better than Gentiles just because they were better at keeping Jewish rules than Gentiles. And it also applies to us as Christians when we somehow start to believe that we deserve a relationship with Jesus more than someone else does because of our good behavior. And I think what Jesus wanted them to see and I think what Jesus wants us to see is that just like with this older brother, our relationship with God isn't something that we work for. And it's not something that we earn. And it's not something that we deserve. It's something that we inherit. It's, it's a gift from our Father. So Christianity is not really about who's good enough. It's not really about who you are or what you've done. And it's not really about what other people are or what other people have done. It's about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's about this perfect father who loves us perfectly without regard for our work, without regard for our performance. And that is a hard lesson for some of us to realize that our good behavior is good but it doesn't qualify us for a relationship with God. And it really, it's, it's kind of, it's funny. I mean, if you think about this idea that I deserve a relationship with God more than someone else because what? I've sinned 8% less than them, right? I deserve a relationship with God more than them because I have done six more good things than they did. And so suddenly now I qualify. Nobody else qualifies, but I qualify. But Isaiah 64 tells us that on our best day, with our best motives, our best behaviors are like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. And so I guess this first lesson is Instead of scrutinizing the qualifications of other Christians, we should be celebrating the goodness of God to save them and to save us. And if they were particularly messed up, the more jacked up they are, the greater the miracle that God's done to bring them back home. So that, that, was, really, that was the original lesson that Jesus told this story to teach. We'll call that the lesson of the older brother. And then, of course, there's also a great secondary lesson in this story, and that's the lesson of, for, the sec, for the younger brother. Um, and that lesson is that no matter where you've gone and no matter what you've done and no matter how long you've been gone, you haven't outrun the love of your father. I mean, this kid 
let his dad down, like big time, right? I mean, he, he, he's, I, I can't wait for you to die to get my money. He, 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 he spit in his dad's face, right? He, he hung out with pigs. He ate with pigs. He acted like a pig. But when he came home, he realized that through all of that, in his father's eyes, he never became a pig. In his father's eyes, he was always just this child that he loved. His dad was just waiting for him to come home. And maybe, maybe this is your lesson, right? Maybe you feel like you've let God down and, and you've done horrible things and you've spit in God's face and you've, you know, hung out with pigs. Maybe you've been consuming things that a pig would consume. Maybe you've been acting like a pig. And maybe you've been running from God because you feel like he would never take you back. And if that's you, I think this is your lesson. No matter who you've hung out with, no matter what you've consumed, no matter how you've acted or how you've lived, that song says his goodness keeps running after us, right? Your heavenly father doesn't see you like that. In his eyes, in his eyes, he still sees you as that child that he loves. He doesn't see you through all of your sin. He just sees you. And he loves you. And if you'll just go home to him, you'll see that he never gave up on you. That he's been waiting and watching and he's ready to embrace you. And he's ready to forgive you and accept you and heal you and celebrate your homecoming. And that's the lesson of the younger brother. So just, it's just this incredible story. It's just this amazing teaching. And it's just full of awesome lessons. Um, have you guys got time for one more lesson or you got barbecue? Right, one more? Okay, so this lesson hit me this week. And I'm like you, I've read this story what, a thousand times, right? And for some reason, this lesson kind of jumped out at me this week. And it's not the original lesson. It's not the original reason that Jesus told it, but I think it's important. And it's a lesson, not for the older brother and not for the younger brother. It's a lesson for dads. When this younger brother came to this place where he was alone, and he was lost and he was scared and he was humiliated and he was desperate, the Bible says he came to his senses. In the King James, some of you were raised on King James, what does it say? He came to himself, right? And you know what that word means in Greek? It means this. It's like, yeah, what am I doing? That's what it means. He came to himself. What, the, what am I thinking? He came to himself. And at the most crucial time in his life, he had this like epiphany, right? He had this realization. It was clear to him what he needed to do in this place of fear, in this place of desperation and loneliness and hunger, he knew what he should do. He knew his dad would treat him well. He knew his dad would pay him fairly. He knew his dad would be fair and compassionate and kind because he knew how his dad treated his employees. He knew how his dad treated people because he knew his dad. His whole life, 
had been watching this man. How he runs his business. How he worked with people. How he treats his employees. And consciously or subconsciously, his whole life, he had been watching his dad. The things his dad did. The words his dad said. The decisions his dad made. His dad, his dad had been impacting his future without even knowing it. And when the kid made the most important decision of his life, he looked at that situation through the lens of his father. And dads, I think we might be surprised if we knew the impact we're having on our kids. Not the great speeches we make so much, but the things that we do and the words that we say and the decisions that we make will impact our kids in the most important times of their life. There's something that God programmed into tiny humans, right? There's something that God programmed into kids to watch their dads and how you walk and how you talk and how you treat people and your words and your actions. They look at you and they listen to you so much that it becomes a lens. You have a huge impact on the way that your kids see the world. And like it or not, your kids see the world through the lens of you. I mean, a lot of what I know is what my dad knew, and he taught me. And a lot of what I believe is what my dad believed and taught me. And a lot of who I am is based on how my dad lived and what he loved and what he hated. Words he said and things he did and decisions he made and the things that he valued. You know, my dad valued um, family and hard work and integrity and laughter and food. And amen, right? So did yours. <laughs> and he acted and he spoke and he made decisions as if those things were important. So I see the world through that lens. And now because he acted like those things were important, to me those things are important. And those things affect what I do and what I say and what I believe and the decisions that I make. And you think, Dad, you think that's hard, right? But it's, it's harder than you think because it's not just the stuff that you say. It's how you live. They aren't just listening to every word you say. They are watching everything you do. Dad, your, your kids are watching the way you treat people. Your kids are watching the way you handle money. Your kids are watching the way you handle your faith and the way you talk to people. My dad talked to people in low socioeconomic circles like they mattered. So I grew up believing that they did just the way he acted. I said, now that's the lens I see the world through. I, I think that they do. Your, your kids are not just listening to your words, though. They are watching everything you do. Dad's when an attractive woman, other than your wife, walks by. How you look at her, how long you look at her, right? The look on your face, your son sees that. And it affects the way he sees women and men, and sex, and marriage, and faithfulness, and temptation, and love. And I'll tell you something else, dads. 
the look on your face when that woman walks by and how long you look also affects the way your daughter sees women and men and temptation and love and sex and faithfulness and marriage. So, yeah, no pressure, dads. But it's everything you do. The way you drive, how you handle alcohol, how you handle your temper, your exercise habits, whether or not you pray, whether or not you read your Bible, whether or not you worship, whether or not you go to church, whether or not you floss your teeth, right? What you watch on TV, how you treat irritating people, how you talk to people, how you talk about people, how you listen to people, good stuff, bad stuff, a billion memories of dad and they all get crammed into this little supercomputer brain. And that brain produces a lens. And they will see the world through that lens for the rest of their lives. Dads, you have an incredible impact on the way your kids see the world. And you know what else? You have a huge impact on the way they see themselves. The words you say to them the actions you take with them, the way you interact with them, the decisions you make about them, those things matter more than you can imagine because if your words, if your actions, if your interactions, if your decisions are positive, they will see themselves positively. And if your words and actions and decisions are negative, they'll see themselves negatively. It's, it's as simple as that. It's it's an unfair burden, huh, dads? It is. It's like it's almost too much because everything you do and everything you say is like it counts more than once, right? If somebody, if, if a friend or a teacher or a coach or whatever tells your kids that they're not good enough or that they're stupid or ugly or they're a poo-poo head or whatever, that, that hurts, you know, that hurts. But, but they get over it. But it's like your words count a hundred times. It's... It, for better or worse, it's wired into us to believe what our dads tell us, not only about the world, but what the dads tell us about ourselves. It's, it's like it's wired into us to believe them. I have a friend, Anne, almost 50 years ago, 50 years ago, her dad got tired of being a dad. She was about 11 or 12 years old. And he had decided that he would pursue other things instead. And he left. And his words and his actions told her that she wasn't lovable enough to stay home for, that she wasn't valuable enough to be a dad to, that she wasn't worthy of love. And now, almost 50 years later, and still struggles to see herself as lovable, to see herself as valuable, to see herself as worthy because her father's words and actions told her that she wasn't and she believed it. It's like it's wired into us to believe what our dads tell us, especially about ourselves. She struggled for 50 years to stop believing that. And, and, and it's affected her in hundreds of ways. 
And it's caused her pain and frustration and confusion and it's messed up relationships all because she sees herself through the lens of her father. Now the good news is through prayer and through good counsel and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Anne is doing much better. And now after, you know, almost five decades of pain, she's finally come to realize that what her father's actions and words told her is not true. She's finally come to realize that she is lovable and she is valuable and she is worthy and she sees herself now through the lens of her heavenly father. So that's great news. And there's even some more great news, dads. This works just as well in reverse, right? This, this trick that Satan wants to use for evil, that your kids believe what you tell them about themselves, Satan would love to use that for evil, but God can turn that to good. Because when you show your kids with your actions and when you tell your kids with your words that they are lovable and they are valuable and that they are worthy, they'll believe that. And they'll remember that because it's like it's wired into us to believe what our dads tell us about ourselves. They will believe you if you tell them that they're valuable. They will believe you if you tell them that you're, they're lovable. They will believe you if you tell them that they're worthy and they'll draw on that as they face life and all the challenges of life, they will draw on that and, and they will face those challenges with confidence and with positivity and it won't just, you say something loving to your kid, it doesn't just change their day, it impacts their lives. And when some bully or when some boss or when, when just life tells your son that he's not good enough, he will stand up in confidence. The confidence that you gave him. Because he will still hear your voice. He will still hear your encouraging words. You're, you got this, son. I'm proud of you. I'm for you. You can do all things through Christ. And when some smooth-talking scumbag tries to take advantage of your daughter... Right? And he tells her, oh, you're so beautiful. Then instead of falling for his line, she'll say, duh. My dad's been telling me that my whole life. It's a big responsibility. But it is an amazing opportunity. Dads. The way your kids see themselves starts with you you have a huge impact on the way they see the world. You have a huge impact on the way they see themselves. And you know what? You have a huge impact on the way they see God. So if those other two didn't apply enough pressure, let's add this, right? You have a huge impact on the way they see God because God, kids grow up to see God through the lens of their father. And if their earthly dad is good and kind and provides for them and, and, and protects them and teaches them and loves them unconditionally, then it's a lot easier for them to trust God later. And if you do those things, if you speak those words and if you do those things and if you make those decisions that show your kids that they're valuable and they're important and that you love them, then they'll know how to believe in God. They'll know how to believe in God and they'll know how to embrace his love and they'll know how to embrace his acceptance because they've been practicing their whole life with your love and your acceptance. So dads, please remember that your kids are watching. 
and they are listening. And your words and your actions and your interactions and your decisions are all going into their brain, man. And those words and actions become, you become a lens that impacts the way your kids see the world, that impacts the way your kids see themselves, that impact the way your kids see God. Dad, you have a huge responsibility with the words you speak, the things you do, the decisions you make. If you really speak life into your kids, if you really love them with your actions and with your decisions, you can change the way they see the world. You can change the way they see themselves. You can change the way they see God. And listen, it is one of the biggest responsibilities in this life. Even bigger than being the most powerful, important president. Even bigger than being the leader of the free world. It's a massive responsibility. And I know it's, it's a lot to take on. But as a Christian dad, the good news is you don't have to take it on alone. Because the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that empowered those people in Acts with their hair on fire to do all that incredible, impossible stuff, that same spirit lives in you to lead you and to empower you, to give you the, 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 the courage to do it, to give you the wisdom to know how, to give you the power to execute this impossible responsibility. So today, let's finish like we started. Let's pray. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you so much for being a perfect father to us. And Lord, we have, so, man, as a dad, we're feeling a little overwhelmed right now, right? You've given us so much and you've trusted us so much. And so thank you for that trust. Father, I want to pray first of all for, for people whose dads aren't here or, or maybe were never there. Lord, I want to pray for the people that maybe their dads didn't do the things that they should have done. God, for those of us that don't have a perfect father, will you remind us that we do have a perfect heavenly father who loves us perfectly. God, will you let us see the world through the lens of you? Will you let us see the world through your love? Will you let us see ourself the way you see us as lovable and as acceptable and as worthy? And will you help us see you as a perfect father? God, I pray for our dads right now that we will see this huge responsibility, but we'll see it not in fear, but we'll see it as an opportunity to really to show our kids how the world works. It's an opportunity for us to show our kids who they really are. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to show them who you are. So God, will you please lead us and empower us for this impossible, amazing job? And will you show us as dads what a blessing it is to be a father? And God, I wanna pray for the kids that have great dads, whether they're little kids or grown kids, Lord, for the, those of us that have great dads, even if our dads are imperfect, will you please show us today the gift that we have in our fathers? 
Will you help them to love and appreciate our dads? God, I pray that today will be a day of joy and and fun and love and laughter and barbecue and lame gifts and stupid jokes. All in appreciation for the gift of a good father. And God, will you help us remember that this good gift and all good gifts come from you, our perfect, loving, heavenly father. In your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. If you're visiting with us, listen, if you're online, I would love to know that you were with us today. I'd love you to let us know in the chat box or in the comment section that you were here. Uh, If you're visiting with us in person, man, I would love so much to call you this week and just say hi. If you'll stop at our Connection Center on the way out and fill out a little card, then they'll give you a little gift, and I'd just love to call you this week and check in. Um, Also, if you are here in this room in person right now, if you are a dad or if you are a male human being, I said that better than they thought I was going to say it. If you are a male human being, we have got a gift for you. In the lobby today, the guest services department at CBCB wants to buy you a cold one. So go out today, stop at their table, have a great day. Happy Father's Day.